The noise in the classroom was very loud as the chairs were being slid back and forth, desks put into place, books thrown on the floor, some things thrown out the window. Hey, where, where is my notebook? Hey, Daniel, don't worry about it. You don't need it. Aframo, I, I need my notebook right now. Don't worry about it, Daniel. We're, we're good. And finally, the sounds quieted down as the Rebbe stood in front of the classroom and said, Good morning, Talmidim! And awaited the thunderous reply of his Talmidim answering, Good morning, Rebbe! Ah, Givaldic! Take a seat, Talmidim, sit down, make sure you have on top of your desks your Gemara and your notebook and your pen. I'm so glad to see everyone is eager and ready to learn. Yes, Nachum? I'm not so eager and ready to learn, Rebbe. And why not? Because I, I forgot the Chaz of the Gemara last night. Don't worry, it's okay. One zero in your notebooks. One zero in your grade isn't going to matter so much. I'm going to get a zero. Well, maybe you won't get a zero. All right, let's see. Um, I see over here there's a few desks that are empty. Anyone know where Nussan is? Uh, Rebbe, I heard he went uh, to visit his grandparents uh, in Florida. Okay. Anybody know where Akiva is? Um, yeah, I think he's still he's still finishing breakfast. Oh, all right, that's good to know. All right, let's get learning. Yes, Avram. Rabbi, Rabbi forgot to notice one of the most important missings in the classroom, the one that's going to make the biggest difference, because now class will finally be peaceful and quiet. I'm sorry? I mean Sammy. Rebbe didn't notice that Sammy is not here today. Avramo. I did notice. And I didn't ask. And I didn't appreciate your comments. Uh Uh-huh. But could I tell Rebbe why Sammy's not here? Uh, no. I I think we all know why Sammy's not here. We, we, We all know what happened yesterday in school. At the end of the day, Abramo, I said we're not talking about it. Well, is it possible that that we could just clarify that we're right and and just to make sure we understand like what happened, the story, and what happened with Sammy and Abramo? I said it's it's not your business, Rabbi. It's important. It's a learning lesson. Like, we'll, we'll know what to do or not to do in the future that will not get us suspended from school. Aframo, I said, it's not your business what happened with Sammy yesterday. Okay, Rebbe, I- I'm sorry. You know, it's an Avera to mind other people's business. Yes, you can seal. Um, if, if I don't mind my business, then I might go bankrupt. If I don't care, I, I, no, <laughs> you can seal. I didn't mean that kind of business. I meant, I meant a different kind of business. I meant like, mind your, your, mind other people's, uh, um, 
uh, information, private information about other people. That's not allowed. That's what I'm talking about. You know, Avramo, I'm really bothered by the fact that you're so interested in discussing the private business of someone else. I really think that, well, I want to share with you a story. A story that I know very well. And here it goes. In the little town of Mishawaka, they had a school. And in this school of 65 students, they had one class for first, second, and third grades. Another class for fourth and fifth grade. And a third class of sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And they had double classes, one for the boys and one for the girls. And with only 65 students, which included the preschool, and these six classes of boys and girls, you could probably imagine that there were not a lot of people in each class. As a matter of fact, in Mishawaka, located in the state of Wyoming, there weren't even that many from people. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there was one shul in Mishawaka, and it, well, usually had a minion for a Shabbat Yom Kippur, and once in a while on Shabbos. So you're going to ask, why did the people who lived in Mishawaka live there? That's a very good question. As a matter of fact, Moshe asked the same question to his father one day. He said, Dad, because in Mishawaka, they didn't call their fathers Tati or Abba. He said, Dad, and his father said, Yes, son, because in Mishawaka, they don't call their sons names. They call them son. Dad, why do we live in Mishawaka where there is no minion, where practicing Torah and mitzvahs is very challenging. And the father said, I'll tell you why, son. Because you see, I grew up on this farm, and I got this farm from my father, who got it from his father, who got it from his father. And when my father's father's father moved here to Mishawaka, there were lots and lots of Torah Jews. But as time went on, there were less and less Jews. So, that's why I live here. And we spend our time farming and taking care of our cattle and taking care of all the different things that we farmers take care of when we take care of things. Moshe, of course, enjoyed the fact that he lived on a farm. I mean, he had plenty of animals on his farm. Cows, sheep, goats, ducks, even horses. And what was the best fun, funnest thing for Moshe to do was to go horseback riding. He didn't have to ask his father permission. He had his own horse. And he, at 11 years old, knew how to saddle his horse. He knew how to tighten the chinch on his horse, the bottom, and make sure it won't, the saddle won't fall off with him on it. He knew how to ride safely. He didn't get lost in the woods. Well, my sheep and his classmates enjoyed playing games. Like every class. But being a classmate with 6th, 7th, 8th graders all together, 11, 12, 13-year-old boys, sometimes even 14-year-old boys, depending on the year, all together, you know, that's 
people see things differently, like things differently, and, well, they interact on a different level. So Maishi would sometimes go horseback riding with his friends. Almost all of his friends were farmer's sons, and almost all of them had horses. If they didn't, Maishi would lend them a horse, and they would all get together and sit on this horse, go on their horses, and go into the woods, and sometimes camp out overnight, and of course, after telling their parents their plans, obviously. And of course, safe camping, making sure not to burn down the whole forest or whatever trees there are in those areas in Wyoming. And Maishi and his friends had a really, really good time doing different things together. Now, if you could imagine for a minute being the teacher in a school that's so small, it's probably not so easy. It's also not so easy being a teacher of such a range of ages, such a small class. Well, when Mr. Smith arrived in the school, he did not know what he was getting himself into. You see, Mr. Smith had been a teacher all the way back east. And he was a teacher of a big class. He was a teacher in a public school system that had an average of 50 students per class. And he was used to teaching 50 students at a time. <laughs> well, there's a big difference between teaching 50 students at a time and teaching six students. There's a big difference between teaching 50 students the same age and the same level and six students different ages and different levels. And so when Mr. Smith came, he realized right away that class was going to be different. He hoped much more exciting. But he also didn't know something else. You see, back east, where everyone goes to school and everyone eventually gets a job working in an office, people's attitudes are different. People act a little differently. People think a little bit differently. Mr. Smith wasn't expecting what happened in the classroom. When he sat down to class, he said, Okay, students, please take out your textbooks. And the students, well, I guess they did take out their textbook, but the whole time they were schmoozing and talking. And a lot of things they were talking about, he had no idea what they were even saying. He had no idea what they were talking, because they were talking about farming things, and he wasn't a farmer. Oh my goodness, Mr. Smith said, these people speak a different language. And when it came to math and he started talking about adding different things together, the kids said, oh yeah, yeah, oh the other day my horse, yeah, she had a foal. And, and Mr. Smith said, she fell? Oh, a foal, a foal. What's a foal? Is not a fall? No, no, a foal's a baby horse. For goodness sakes, don't you know anything? And Mr. Smith was taken aback. How could it be? The child was so rude. Well, one day, something happened that I can't even tell you why it happened. It's strange to me, but it happened. One day, when Mr. Smith was handing out some papers, one of the students didn't want the paper. And so he took his hand and went like this. Moved his hand. But he did it with a lot of force, and he was a strong farming kind of kid. And he hit Mr. Smith's arm. Now, Mr. Smith said, Did you just hit me? And the boy, I don't know why he said it. Maybe when he woke up that morning, he was in a bad mood because he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. 
in my bed, I can't wake up on the wrong side because one side's the wall. <laughs> and he wake up on the wrong side of bed. I mean, I don't know exactly how you wake up on the wrong side of bed, but that's what they say, right? And he said to Mr. Smith, yeah, I hit you. Stop bothering me. And Mr. Smith said, excuse me? I don't know why the boy did this. Can you imagine? This boy in seventh grade took his hand and shoved Mr. Smith away from his desk. Now, I will tell you right now that if Mr. Smith went to the police and told the police what happened, they would come and probably arrest this young boy. Now, Maishi watched this whole thing happen, and his friends also saw how this boy, we're not going to say Lush and her about him, we'll call him, we'll call him, we'll call him Ephraim. Ephraim, they couldn't believe what Ephraim was doing. And that was it. Mr. Smith had had enough. He stood in his spot and he said, young man, because that's what teachers say when they're mad at somebody often, right? Young man, you are coming with me. And Ephraim did not get out of his seat and Mr. Smith went out the door and he went downstairs and he went to the office of the person in charge of the school, called in those places the headmaster and that's, that's what they called the principal. And they knocked on the Mr. Smith, knocked on the headmaster's door and the headmaster was in the middle of enjoying his cup of coffee. He was like, yes, come on in. And Mr. Smith opens the door and he sees Mr. Smith's face and if he could perhaps wanted to rewarm his coffee, he only had to put it next to Mr. Smith's ears because the steam coming out of his ears probably was hot enough to warm his coffee. And he said, Mr. Smith, how are you? Come take a seat. There's a boy in my classroom who needs to leave my classroom forever. What happened? He hit me and he shoved me. Now the headmaster knew that we don't treat that lightly. And so the headmaster stood up from his seat he put down his cup of coffee by mistake, filling it some some of his papers. I'll clean it up later. And he went upstairs to Mr. with Mr. Smith, and he came to the room, and there was a frame sitting in his chair, eating a fruit cup. And Mr. Smith pointed to him and said, "Him." And the headmaster looked at a frame and said, "Young man." Because that's what adults say when they get upset a lot of times to kids. Come with me. And Ephraim, he didn't want to mess with the headmaster. Because you see, the headmaster was somebody who everyone knew. And everyone knew that he was very much in charge. And every parent listened to the headmaster. And if the parent got a phone call from the headmaster saying, your child did something bad, the parent said, okay. And the child got punished at home. And so the headmaster told Ephraim to come here. Ephraim walked out with the headmaster. And then the headmaster called out Mr. Smith. And as they were outside, class, five boys, began a conversation. wonder what's going to happen to him. I think that he's going to get in big trouble. Maybe the headmaster's going to let Mr. Smith punch him back. That would be really good. Mida, Kenegan, Mida. When you do something bad, Hashem punishes you the same way you do the bad thing. Like, if a person, if a person like Mitzrayim, they killed the baby so there was blood, right? So maybe that headmaster's gonna let, that Mr. Smith punch or hit or shove Ephraim. Hey, we could watch. And they're having this conversation. 
and the door opened, and the headmaster walked into the room, and he closed the door. All the boys got silent. You could hear a pin drop in the room of these five boys who had just been talking, and not quietly. And the headmaster looked at each boy with those beady eyes that seemed to be implanted somehow genetically into people who are in charge in a school or other places, maybe camps. Each boy felt the intensity of the eye boring into them, and every boy who was sitting there was squirming and trying to look away because they were so uncomfortable under the beady eyes of the headmaster. And finally the headmaster said, Boys. Because that's what headmasters say when they're upset. I was standing in the hall. And I heard you talking about the punishment that Ephraim is going to receive. The boys got excited. Maybe the headmaster is going to let them vote. <laughs> Maybe they're going to have the opportunity to vote. Hmm. I think that's a cool idea, right? I think that's a good idea. Let's vote on what punishment. Moshe was thinking to himself, hmm, if I were going to punish Ephraim, what would I punish him as? Hmm, maybe, maybe, oh, that's a good punishment. Maybe he should stand and we should all get the opportunity to shove him and see who can shove him the most. That will teach Ephraim not to shove people. <laughs> nah, that's not a good punishment. Maybe, maybe Ephraim should get suspended. Yeah, he should get suspended from the school. For shoving the teacher. Or, or, or arrested. We should maybe call the police, have him arrested, and he'll go to jail and he'll learn how serious it is. And the Menahel, the headmaster, says, It's none of your business what happens to Ephraim. And all the boys say in their minds, they say, Huh? Their eyes pop open. The headmaster looks at them again with his beady eyes and he says, It's none of your business. Why are you discussing it? And they said, because we, 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 I didn't ask you to talk. And she raised his hand. But is it possible that everything's possible? But I didn't say talk. I just asked the question. I didn't want you to answer it. Because you were minding someone else's business, you all have to write an assignment for me tonight. 350 words describing the importance of minding your own business. And it has to be signed by your parent. If it's not turned in by tomorrow, when you come to school, then don't come to school. Maisha came home that night, and he was so upset. He said to his father, he said, Daddy, that's it. Ouch. He said, Daddy, that's it. I'm not going back to school ever again. And his father said, Son, because that's what fathers say, especially when they're mad. Why not? Well, the headmaster's not going to let me. And why is that? Said his father. And Moshe said, Because the headmaster told me that we are supposed to have an assignment due tomorrow. 350 words about minding your own business. And if we don't write it, we can't come back to school. Well, I'm not writing it. 
and all my friends, we decided we're all not writing it because that's unfair. It's cruel. We didn't do anything wrong. All that happened was Ephraim did something wrong and we were talking about what punishment he was going to get. And if Maishi was thinking his father was going to be happy with that, he was wrong. Because his father said, Well, son, you are writing that assignment right now. Sit down, here's a pen, here's paper, and start writing. And Maishi says, Well, and then his father said, Well, nothing. Write. And Maishi starts to write. And he writes for five minutes. And his father says, Write more. And Maishi says, I'm done. And his father picks it up and he reads, blah, 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 crunch, 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 garbage. Son. And now Maishi's father said it more like, son, which is what fathers say when they're really upset in Wyoming. You have to write an assignment about why you're supposed to mind your own business. And the son says, well, well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to mind my own business. <laughs> it's much more exciting to like mind people's business. And his father said, come with me. Now Maishi's getting nervous. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm in big trouble now. And his father took him outside, down the block, to the local shoal. Huh? Why is my father taking me to shoal, Maishi thought. And he opened the door and they came into the shoal. And his father went over to the shelf and he pulled off a safer from the shelf. And the safer was called the Safer Puffet's Eye. And his father opened it to the first page. His father said, You see this book? Yeah, I know it. Everyone knows the Chafetz Chaim Heritage Foundation. This book is an essay on minding your own business. And his Maishi, if he wasn't so scared, would have laughed. But anyway, he said, What? This book is about not speaking Lashon Hara, not speaking Motsi Shemra, not speaking Rechilus, not listening to Lashon Hara, not embarrassing somebody in public. Not, that's not about minding your own business. And his father said, actually, it is. Did you know that speaking Lashon Hara is really an Avera of minding someone else's business? Did you know that embarrassing somebody is almost always an Avera of minding someone else's business? Maishi said, really? Yes. Just then, the door to the shul opened. And in walked his friend Nachum with his father. Now, Nachum's father was also a farmer. But he farmed like soybeans and wheat and stuff like that. And so he was out normally in the fields very late at night. The fact that he was here now at this time, right after school, in the shul was very unusual. And Nachum looked like he had tears in his eyes, maybe on his cheeks, 
and he was something like that, something like that, and Nachum looked at Maishi, and Maishi looked at Nachum, and the fathers looked at each other, and Nachum's father said to Maishi's father, I see you brought your son here. Were you showing him the Chafetz Chaim? Mm-hmm. I was. Yeah, my son also. I told him I'm going to show him also the Chafetz Chaim. You mean your son also said, why shouldn't you mind to somebody else's business? That's right. Just as they finished their conversation, in walked Avigdor and his father. And Aaron and his father. And Bitzalel and his father. And they were all looking at each other and pointing at the Chafetz Chaim. And then they said to their sons, We brought pen and paper. It sounded like stereo. There's an English copy of the Chavetz Chaim. Copy out his introduction. It's a little more than 350 words, maybe about 3,000, but you don't have to write it all. And they started to write it. And they're writing it and writing it, and 45 minutes goes by when the door opened and in walked Ephraim. Ephraim said, Why are you all here? And all five boys turned to him in unison and said, Mind your own business. And that's the story. Rabbi? Yes, Avramo? That story, uh, is it true? Well... It can't be true. Why not, Yekusil? Cause, cause, Jews don't live in Wyoming. That's like, that's like, like, in a different country. <laughs> well, actually, uh, Wyoming is part of the United States, and, and actually, um, some Jews perhaps live there. I don't know who lives there right now. But no, seriously, Rabbi, is it a true story? Avramel, why do you need to know? Because Rebbe said it, and, and Rebbe didn't say it was a mushal, and I just get the feeling. All right, I'll tell you the truth, but it's a little bit of a secret. Yes, Zavulun? Rabbi, if Rebbe tells us a secret, we're, we're a class full of boys who um sometimes say secrets over. <laughs> I, I, I realize. It's not a real big secret, though. So I'll tell you. The motion in the story? That was me. Rebbe! You grew up in Wyoming? I actually, actually I did. Hey, Rebbe. Yes, Aaron. Rebbe, Rebbe, Rebbe knows how to ride a horse? Uh, I haven't done it in a long time, but, but, but yes, I do. Rebbe? Yes, Eliezer. Does Rebbe know how to, like, take a, that, that thingy and wheel it around his head and, and throw it and, and catch something? Uh, you mean a lasso? Yeah, yeah. Does Rebbe know how to like lasso things and like like cows, like on the farm? And <laughs> actually, our farm was really we we grew we grew food and and we didn't really have we didn't really have those things. Uh, Rebbe. <sighs> yes, Ari. Um, if you grew up on a farm in Wyoming, then how how did you become a Rebbe here? <laughs> It's a long story, but I didn't, 
I did grow up on a farm in Wyoming, but I didn't end up um, living there and becoming a farmer. I went to yeshiva, and eventually I came here. Wow, that must have been different. It, it was different. <clears throat> yes, Israel? Uh, Rebbe, um, do you ever go back to, to Wyoming? Well, um, my parents don't live in Wyoming anymore. They sold their farm, and, and so, so I don't have to go there. Whoa, that's cool. All right, well, you have to get going here. Yes, Avram. Rabbi, I know the purpose of the whole the whole of our Torah. I mean, the whole story and everything was to tell me that I should I should follow the halacha and mind my own business and not ask any questions, right? Yeah, you got it. But but what if, what, what what do I do if if I'm so curious and and I want to know somebody else's business? That's a very good question. I think the answer is that. One should try to direct their attention to something else. But Rebbe, what else could I direct my attention to? How about the fact that I'm giving a pop quiz right now. Everyone take out a pen and paper. Rebbe, it's off your And that is the end of the story.